0: Your your capability is in your own hands, it's not determined by somebody else.
1: What's going on? This is Katie Kramitzis. I'm your host of Biz Women Rock. This is the place where you will hear really inspirational and really honest stories from businesswomen who have great journeys to share so that your business can truly be touched by it. Before we get rolling, here's a little word from our awesome sponsor. The most savvy businesswomen know that their marketing has to stay fresh and relevant. That's where Postcard Mania comes in. From direct mail, email marketing, to Google pay per click, Postcard Mania provides proven strategies that produce results for your business. Get started today with a thousand free postcards at postcardmania.com forward slash biz rock. Today's interview is deliberately in two parts because honestly, I really try to keep this show at about 30 to 35 minutes because I know you are busy and you have a hectic life and I want to respect that. But uh, at minute like 35 and I was getting into like 40, I was like, I cannot stop this interview. This information is so awesome. So I'm putting it into two parts um, and you're going to know exactly why as you start listening. My guest today is Joanna Miller. She's the founder of One Page. Okay, so the quick description of this company is that she has built technology that um, allows people to do one page proposal. Uh, activity so that um, basically what it's used for right now is that HR departments and large companies like Accenture can actually use her whole technology to find and source the best people for the job without using resumes. It's a whole different way of hiring really great people, actually using a whole social aspect of it. It's just mind-blowing and amazing. Here's the amazing thing about this woman is that her company is just three years old, and back in October of 2014, she went public. Her company went public on the Australian Stock Exchange. Her company is now valued at $150 million. And the the common theme of this entire conversation is how much resilience this girl has and how she's going to blow through walls no matter what. Uh, we talk about how what kind of a leader she is, how she's built out this team, how... Uh, you know, how she has managed such tremendous growth, what those really dark moments have looked like when she didn't know if she could continue her business the next day or pay her staff and what's happened um, and why she decided to go to the Australian Stock Exchange and how that actually wasn't such a scary thing. So, um, man, just turn up that volume. I hope that you really enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Let's go. Joanna, what is going on, California girl? Thanks so much for being
0: on the show. Uh, Thanks so much, Katie. I'm so excited to be on it.
1: So excited for you to be here. Um, Totally have just really enjoyed our pre-conversation already, so I'm really excited (laughs) to bring everyone else in on this. Um, You have built uh, just a mind-blowing company um that is has already gone public in 3 years and there is a, an amazing story behind that so one of the things that you and I actually have in common that i found really really interesting and i i know it's had such a foundational impact on me as an entrepreneur and i would love to hear a little bit about how it has impacted you and this really established you know, kind of what what things were going on in the early years for you. But you were a college athlete. Um, talk a little, Talk a little bit about, like, what sport did you do? And what kind of, like, looking back now, what kind of foundational things did you learn as an athlete that have really, you know, impacted how you are as a businesswoman?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've, I I hire a lot of athletes now. And I was actually talking to one of my uh, newer employees who's an athlete a uh, really good athlete earlier this morning. I was just saying, you know, so much of what I know, I know because of athletics. And I was super lucky um, to be an athlete as I was a child. However, I did not pop out of the womb that way. I was a child that had zero athletic ability. I was a kid that was, like, running a mile in, you know, 16 and a half minutes. So I was very excited. It wasn't 17 minutes. It was like, I mean, everyone, everyone had gone home already, and I'm, like, still trying to run the mile. Um, I literally was like the, my parents, I was so lucky. My parents told me this one kind of secret in life, which was whatever you do, try it at a hundred percent, because if you're only trying it at 80%, you're never going to know if you're really good at it. And so I went out like a bat out of hell in every sport. I mean, I would like go, I would go for that soccer ball. The problem was a lot of the time I didn't kick the soccer ball, so I just (laughs) fell on my butt. And I, you know, didn't make, I didn't actually hit the tennis racket, like to the ball. And my husband actually watches me play tennis, like he wants to play tennis for his own entertainment just to like laugh at something hysterically <laughs> um, to this day after I've been you know been this big athlete. And so one day, you know, after trying everything, I had um I was actually my parents had both gone to boarding school and I was I was looking at um boarding schools for high school and so we were at a boarding school fair and, and actually the guy who ran admissions was also the rowing coach at, at a boarding school in Connecticut called Kent. And he grabbed my shoulder and he was like, Are you in shit and crew? And I'm like what? Who are you? And let go of me. <laughs> like what are you talking about? Yeah, I had no idea. And my dad had rowed at Oxford, but it wasn't that you know, it wasn't really he didn't really talk about it much and I um you know and, and I so I, I was like, sure I'm I'm interested in it and so I went and I and I went to the I, I looked at the school and, and fell in love with the school and sure enough, um tried out for rowing and it was like the first second I picked up that oar and I was in that spot, it all clicked in a way that kind of like when you meet that person that you're in love with, and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, this is how it's supposed to I go. Now I know <laughs> why I had all that heartbreak. You know, it was like, yeah, got it because of this guy. Got it. Now I know why God has a plan or whatever it is. You know, and so that was kind of me with rowing, and I, you know, I picked up my first oar at thirteen, and my fourth by, by fourteen that same year. Um, I was on the junior national team, and I ended up, you know, holding records, um, which put me in a place where I was one of the top five recruits in the country for rowing and um, was accepted to 50 universities in the United States. Academically, I I was also in a really good situation academically, and so I had kind of this opportunity of of school to pick, and I remember kids being like, you're so lucky you don't even have to apply to school, and I was like, so there are... They're recruiting me hard, and they're going to pay me a lot of money to kill myself. You get that, right? I mean, it's like (laughs) I'm an athlete, but my job is to be a machine, a human machine. And if I break, they will stick glue back together to make me work, to keep going as, as much as they can. And, you know, I remember thinking that that was kind of the first insight into business at such a young age where I was 18 years old thinking, why do you determine? Why should I pick the school that I had? You know, I I had applied early to an Ivy League and been accepted and turned them down, and that was really against actually the um, that was completely against how it works, and it caused a lot of argument. And my parents were angry, and they didn't talk to me for a long time. They couldn't believe that I would turn down the school. And in the end of the day, I just knew it didn't feel right for me. And for me, I was somebody that wanted this balance between athletic, academics, and, and a social life. And University of Virginia, where I chose, really had that. But they were also one of they were you know one of the top five programs in the entire country for rowing. And I wanted to be part of that. Um, I wanted to be part of that 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 school. But athletics taught me a lot about you know the discipline of. Um, the, the the discipline side of it, but there's something underlying athletics which is that kind of grit and that moxie to push through things. And in what I what I learned that that it instilled in me as a you know at the core was that I was very motivated by merit and I was driven by the fact that you can't be told that you're not capable. I mean, truthfully, that doesn't, that's not even a real thing. Someone telling you that they, that you can't do something doesn't even exist. It's kind of like, that's their opinion, but I could do it. You know, if it was like, I could work really hard and I could actually overcome it. A lot of people told me my whole life growing up, I'd never be an athlete. I was the worst athlete on the planet. And, you know, I'd never be good at sports. And my, my principal, when I actually, when I was in sixth grade, um, called my parents and I in and, and all of my teachers and said I would never go to college. Oh, wow. And so I had, uh, I had severe dyslexia when I, was a, when I was a child. And so that challenge as well as the, the benefit of having athletics, it gave me that kind of motivation of you, your, your capability is in your own hands. It's not determined by somebody else. And so I watched those you know both of those kind of happening at the same time both those, th- those, you know, kind of, I guess, what, what what would hold other people back kind of just fall to the ground of, of nothingness. And so, right, right. You know, it wasn't, you know, I, I had sent my uh, acceptance letter to, to the Ivy League Cure and said, don't ever tell what's the strongest thing they will go to school. And, um, and I even offered school Boom. grant on academic performance, so it wasn't, you know, I was not... <laughs> This is not something that that was kind of an oops, we could have used her as uh, as a donating alumni. Well, and that whole that
1: whole fire that you had and just that determination, you're going to work hard, you're going to put your head down, you're not going to listen to anyone else. I mean, that has served you over and over and over again in your business experience. I I really I want to jump right into one page because I think um, you know, this is really just, I know you had a company before that, but this is really kind of the meat of where you are right now. So yeah. give us a little bit of the backstory. Tell us, um, what gave yeah. you the idea for one page and then, and then we'll go into kind of what it is.
0: Sure. So, um, I, I'll, I'll quickly kind of the, the, the beginning of this actually, when I graduated high school, my father wrote me a book or he wrote me a secrets to this. He, I was, full scholarship to college so my dad didn't really know what to give me and so he wrote me what had made him $50 million of his life and it was typed up and and bound at Kinko's and you know kind of whatever the cheapest founding is and and was kind of like okay good you know good luck and good fortune (laughs) kids and was really an unbelievable insight into how do you do business deals in a simplified way where you're standing across from the decision maker and you need to get a yes or no right there the last thing you wanted to do is kind of get stuck in a stack and so my dad had taught me this kind of as I was going through life, but at that point he wanted to write it down. Well, it so happened that a friend of mine's mother, was so one of my friend's mothers, was writing a, or was heading up her. She was the CEO of HarperCollins. And she picks up this, this stack of papers and she reads the stack of papers on my desk and goes to my father and says, I'm going to publish this. Now my dad had learned about the one page proposal process from a guy named Adnan Khashoggi, who at the time was the richest man in the world. And Adnan had made half a billion dollars using one page proposals to do business deals. Wow. So what happened was my uh, so my dad, you know, says to says to uh, says to Judith Regan, he says, you know, no uh these are my family secrets, not everybody else's, so no, you may not publish this book. And she said, Well, that's too bad and, and she published it and they they decided to 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 go forth. And it became a bestseller in the U.S., China, Korea, and Japan, which was wow. incredible. Wow. On wow. top of that, it became, you know, went on to the New York Times all-time best business selling list. It went on to Amazon Top 100. It's still there today. And what happened in my life was I, I had gone on and I went to University of Virginia. I was actually recruited into the FBI out of college. So my job was to train uh, police in the Middle East and Africa, which was... Uh, Definitely what I wanted, you know, I kind of my tagline is when every other little girl wanted to be a ballerina, I wanted to be a secret agent. So this is, (laughs) you know, and you got to experience it. There you go. Yeah, you know, I was like, this is where I belong. And I loved the FBI and I loved what I did. What I couldn't stand, and this goes back to being an athlete, was I could not stand being in a bureaucratic structure The day I retired, they told me every day I would be promoted to the day, and the day I would have to retire in 25 years. And what that meant is they basically took any capability you have to be driven and they stopped it, right? I mean, it was like, oh no, this is guaranteed, so don't worry, it will just come around. Well, what that does is it definitely kills the light about you, because there's nothing that you can add to make that go faster or slower, I mean, you can't really get fired unless you obviously violate something. So, what was, you know, that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. And so I left and I became an entrepreneur, which I will tell you a lot of people that I was related to, both my parents, did not talk to me for a very long time. Really? (laughs) Uh, Well, no, you know, I I had worked really hard in school and I had done very well. And here I was recruiting to the FBI and I had a lot of opportunities ahead of me. and, And I chose to leave the FBI and I chose to become an entrepreneur where I started actually. Uh, doing sales, going door-to-door on 100% commission, and hearing no. That's what I'll call it. I'll call it the hearing no job. And every day I would go to 100 different businesses, and every day I would have about 85 doors slammed in my face, which was my job. That was my job. So I, um, I, however... You developed a hard exterior very quickly, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, I, however, fell in love with it, and I do to this day every single day. Whether I'm talking to one of our huge clients, or whether I'm talking to uh, an investor, or whether I'm talking to the market, every day I use what I learned because what I and I and I'm such a believer that I wish that every person would go through the experience of going door to door. Because what you learn is that you have exactly 10 seconds to get somebody interested in what you're doing. And now more than ever, you know, you right. have to give that you've got to engage them in ten seconds. Then you have to have an ability to really solve a problem. If you're going to stand in front of them and you're going to say, I want you to buy something, it has to be a better solution than anybody else that stood at that door or anybody else that has called. Now, at the time my client was Staples Corporation, or I was representing Staples Corporation as an outsource sales rep. And I very quickly became the number one rep in the country. And basically, you know, Staples was like, that's kind of ridiculous. You're, you know, you're the number one rep in the country. You've trained all these people. You, you know, we we will, why don't we be your exclusive client? And you go ahead and and, and set up an office or set up a company um, where you're the owner of that company, but we'll be your exclusive client. So basically saying, you represent us, but it will be outsourced. (laughs) Okay. Now, I was 22 years old at the time and I had not gone to business school and I had not learned this in whatever 101 class I missed in college. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, own my own company. And that started with me and me alone. And that, that's the, the kind of beginning of, that, of, of the kind of evolution in business. So what I had done was I, I went on and, and um, grew the company organically. We became one of, the, one of the top outsourced sales and marketing firms in the country. Um, I sold a company by the time I was twenty four. Following that I moved to China for five years and I built a mobile e commerce company which I joined venture with the Chinese government. Um, and what happened while I was going through all these things is my father was getting called by corporations, very large corporations like KKR and Panasonic and Sony, and they were paying him between ten and seventy thousand dollars to write a one page proposal. Wow. And I was like, um Because he's seen yeah. as the
1: expert, right? Yeah, but I was
0: like, yeah, there's a $12 book that tells people how to do this. Like, (laughs) I'm a little confused here. What's what's going on? And that was really where my dad said, you know what, I think this is harder to do than I thought. And so we had this idea that why don't we build a technology that allows anybody to write one-page proposals to do business deals? But let's start with the demographic that has the biggest communication problem, that being job seekers. Your job seekers no longer had an ability to pitch themselves. I mean, a resume was no longer the marketing document that it used to be. You know, there's six point eight billion resumes, sent to five million companies. Right, right. And this flood has caused a complete breakdown in all of HR. So what we uh what we thought of was well, why don't we allow candidates and help candidates to or or people looking to jobs, whether that was consultants or whether that was somebody who's looking for, you know, uh a full-time job, why don't we allow them, why don't we help them write a one-page proposal? So to pitch their ability to a company, to solve a problem, so they're saying, I can do this for you. Got it. Versus, this is what I've done.
1: So it's really, I mean, what- the reason why this is so cool and revolutionary is because it's really focusing on um, what most people would consider have considered like the secondary thing, like the primary is the resume, and then the proposal is like this three sentence thing, which is like why you should read my resume, right? But you were really yeah. flipping the switch saying, Hey, let's put all the energy onto the proposal because this is really the sales, like what's going to sell this person into exactly. the possibility of having a further conversation. And you can, and it doesn't have to be based on all these past skills, it could be really on like, What can I do for you? And here's how I can enhance what your company wants to do, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Here's your problem and this is my solution and I know how to fix it. And in the end of the day, what we found was that's exactly what companies wanted. Over 60% of our users were landing jobs or interviews within two weeks. Wow. And it was shocking. And we were in a time where, you know, unemployment was two years is average unemployment. We were so excited. But what also happened was companies started to call us and say, hey, can we get more of these proposal things and not so many more of these resume things? Now, I should backtrack a little bit, and explain my own story here, because I didn't graduate with a computer science degree, and I'm here building technology, and I run a public technology company. Well, I'm the kid also that had dyslexia, that could barely read English. So learning how to code was not necessarily in the books. But on top of that, all of that, I was living in China because I'd fallen in love with my husband, who is an American, but had built a firm in China. And I had moved to China for five years, knowing nobody and not speaking a word of Chinese. Wow. Literally, not a word. I met him and we instantly fell in love and six weeks later we were engaged and I moved to China. Jeez. <laughs> so I had no plan that this was going to happen. So what happened was I ended up, I was. Basically, I trained myself how to code at the same time that I was learning Chinese, at the same time that I was really getting into technology. And what I found was I obviously didn't have any the, the deep enough skills to really go and build an enterprise platform, but what ended up happening was I learned that this kind of unchangeable beast of technology and building technology was actually something that you could put your mind to and actually learn, and not in the way that I was some brain, you know, whiz. I wasn't. I was not Mark Zuckerberg. I was nowhere close. I was completely opposite. and that accomplishment of, you know what, I can understand where this is coming from. And today I have so many engineers that are working around the world for us, and it's amazing to see things that they're doing. I mean, I wouldn't even know the first thing to do in that situation, but it is amazing that that one product, that product that I, I, I always joke and say, there had to be somebody standing outside with a wire hanger hoping for electricity to make this thing work. <laughs> I mean, it was like such a odd pause. But, but at the same time, that that one product got us to where we were because once companies started calling us, that's when I went back to America and raised our first round of funding. So let,
1: let's just take a second right here for you to explain really what your product slash technology really is, because we're hearing like the one-page mm-hmm. proposal, and um, you know that that people can come to your website and kind of do it or have the services to do it. But what what is the technology behind it? Like, what are people actually sure. getting?
0: Sure, so we actually now work as an enterprise technology, meaning our businesses are, uh, we sell B2B, meaning our clients uh, like companies like Chance Sports to First Republic Bank to, you know, Accenture, they put out challenges, and these challenges are specific to the role. They are something that the company is really facing in that role. And candidates then, again, get an opportunity through the one-page process to solve the challenge, so to write their idea of how they would solve this challenge. And typically, the challenge is something very broad. How would you launch a, here at Pandora Media, we're launching new hip hop radio stations. What would be your ideas to launch a marketing strategy for a hip hop radio station? So that would be a challenge, for example. And what this allows is a candidate to not say, here's my list of things that you're just looking down to try and reject me, but rather, here's my idea of how I would actually go about this. Now this is a one-page proposal. This is not where you just, you know, you cannot disclose all of your ideas. This is just a general overall, this is how I would approach this. Right. What one page has also built is we built a form of artificial intelligence that allows us to rank and score these responses without using any keywords. We actually built a literally a a human computer that can actually read these documents 60,000 times faster than a human being. And 80% better than two human beings of picking up the underlying themes. Therefore, eliminating that risk of an HR person skimming over it and actually missing what you're truly good at. What that means is our system will read a sentence and it will say, this this sentence is about channel sales. And it will put it into a bucket and it will say, this candidate said that we do channel, they they would be able to provide strong channel sales to the company. So, we measure the sentiment. Is it negative or is it positive behind that? And that what that does is it puts everybody kind of on an even playing field when they get to HR because HR is looking specifically not just for a sales director, they're looking for a sales director that's strong in channel sales and lead generation and account management. And as they click those, they actually get this this ranking of these candidates and what they said um, really in deep. They can actually cross-reference it. And so what it's done is it's really allowed for companies to time evaluating candidates versus having to filter through a bunch of resumes. Gotcha. Because a lot of the time, fifty percent of the candidates will actually opt out. Now that's the that's the assessment component of our of our platform. The other part of our platform is we do the same thing, but we point those challenges internally into corporations where we allow corporations to engage their employees to actually solve some of their biggest some of their biggest challenges, and therefore working the corporations together. So a company could say, what are your ideas for increased revenues next quarter? Well, what happens is they get hundreds of thousands of ideas, but they can't really do anything with them, and then the, the person that gave it to them feels like they wasted their time, and why would they keep doing that? Well, right. the one-page job is because of this process, we're able to say this idea is a really high-revenue-generating idea, and if you put it in place, you can put it in place in two weeks, and you're going to already start seeing results. Well, what happened is, of course, we have grid ideas coming from, guess what, the bottom. And these ideas are typically your highest revenue-generating ideas because, in the end of the day, who's going to be the guy that knows how to make planes take off faster on a runway? Is it going to be, is it going to be Richard Branson, or is it going to be the guy that's actually directing the planes on the, on, on the, on the grounds? Right. It's going to be the guy on the grounds, of course. So he's going to know how to make it be more efficient and actually have planes take off faster, not Richard Branson. So at the end of the day, what we do is we allow Richard Branson to hear the information from all employees. I'm just using that as an example, but you allow for all of the employees to start hearing. So it just or say, re- having a voice.
1: So I mean, it really sounds like um, I, this sounds really. It might sound really ignorant, but like crowdsourcing on steroids like with some intelligence mm-hmm. is really what it sounds like like in multiple different exactly. fashions you're getting you're you've created a platform to gather all these ideas and then the intelligence to sort it organize it so it's easy to read easy to organize and the re- you can see things based on relevancy of what you need and then kind yeah. of go like drill down from there it that's very Absolutely. very smart very smart yeah
0: thanks so- we also built something unique. We have the largest professional network in the world. We have 820 million professionals in our network. And what we do with corporations is we actually, instead of having, we, are, we actually are just launching this component to our business. So I acquired a company and um, we are just launching this out right now with, with, uh, with one pages corporation corporate chat with one page. And what it does is it actually allows corporations to see the social graphs of their employees. So instead of, Seeing them one-off on LinkedIn, what we do is we build an entire company cloud. We not only have 820 million professionals, but we actually have the 10 billion connections that connect them all. And we have that connection strength based on Facebook, which is the strongest connection in the world. We've enriched the data pulled from LinkedIn and from any other public source. So we have all the enriched data, but we have the connection from Facebook. And so what we do is we allow for HR, we allow for the company to actually see their own employees' connections. And then recruit directly by saying to the employee, we notice that you know Sarah Pulver. Do you think she's a good fit for this organization? Oh, wow. And therefore allowing the employees to actually nudge these, these candidates, these potential candidates in the door. Uh, this is completely, this is the most valuable thing to an organization because to them, the referral is the number one. It's actually the number one volume of all hires that are made on a global level. They are yet only 6.9% of applicants, so there's never been a way for them to see those kind of candidates other than going on LinkedIn and doing a one-off search one-by-one. Right. When you're a company like Accenture, you have 300,000 employees. There's no way you can go one-off at each person and look at their contacts and see how they'd be connected and filter that with some rich data and, and whatnot. What we do is we build enterprise technology. So all of our, we've taken all this data and we've actually aggregated and displayed it in a way that's in, important to the organization. When they put in, they're looking for a personal banker in San Francisco, and they want someone who has come out of Wells Fargo, First Republic, and Bank of America. We actually prioritize that search based on those that are the most connected to the organization that fit that criteria, wow. and then we automate the messaging between the employee, the potential candidate, and back to HR.
1: Man, so uh, you know, I, I really want to ask a lot of the questions behind all of this passion and behind all of sure. you know, th- this the beauty of this great business model. So, um okay. one of the things that uh that really strikes me is that you I mean, you really only have this business for 3 years. So, it has grown tremendously. Yeah. You have you know, on any given day, um, you know, probably about 40 full-time people that are working with you on a regular basis, anywhere from 60 to 100, depending on how you're growing or what engineers you need or what's going on. So one thing that I would really love to know is what have you learned and maybe what stages have you gone through of becoming the leader that this company needs to go through such a rapid growth? Yeah,
0: it's a good question. I think that. You know, I uh, I study leadership a lot, and I'm like, I wonder how I can be that. And then, you know, you look around in a room, and you're like, wait a sec, all those people are following me. <laughs> maybe, maybe I got something in this business, you know? And I I will say it's, it's, um, it's kind of what, it, what I was telling you before. Is I hire unicorns, and I get the hell out of their way. And that means that I hire people that are really smart and smarter than me and i look for those people and i try and actually tell them why this is important i don't sell people on how or what it doesn't come down to features or really you know when when you start a business the the, the hows and the whats they don't really fit. they're not the, they're not what keep you in a the business they're not what actually allow you to sell to clients or even to your own employees it's the why why did i do this i don't believe anybody should ever be Judge based on their or have any bias based on their background. They should not be discriminated because they didn't go to the right college or they didn't have the right experience level. That actually talent exists in everywhere, and that we need to find this talent and allow people to have a voice again, versus being judged based on their background or their gender or their name, or where they grew up or where they went to college or if they didn't go to college. And a lot of times, what I found is that by hiring, you know, by finding those people and bringing them in. I was able to build an organization full of people that were all at the top of their game. And it doesn't start that way at all. You know, it starts the way where you go, you're just excited, people want to work for you. You're like, oh my God, oh my <laughs> yeah, God, I have my have who's 12 is going to work for free or for $10 an hour. And you're like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And then, you know, and at the same time, that when I had this idea, I was also raising venture capital money, which... Is not at all an easy heave. Now that you're
1: totally intrigued by this lady, don't forget that you can listen to part two of this episode by just clicking on the next episode right behind this. You can also go check out the cool show notes and get a direct link to Joanna's website at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 153. I'll see you on the next episode.